Ladies and gentlemen, will you join me in welcoming to the stage our host for the evening, Mr. Frank MacDonald. I think uh, having <coughs> having watched uh, having can you hear me? You, you probably can. Um, having watched this film, I doubt if there's a single person in the audience here who would disagree with uh, Fintan O'Toole's verdict on Land Without God, that it's uh, haunting, poetic, devastating, and can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Will I start again then? Yeah. Okay. I said, having watched this film, I doubt if there's a single person in the audience who would disagree with Fintan O'Toole's verdict on Land Without God, that it's a haunting, poetic, devastating and moving film. I'm several years older than Mannix, and I remember us being warned as kids that if we did anything really bad, we could end up being sent to Dangan or Letter Frack or even the notorious Artane Industrial School in Dublin, whose band of boys, many of whom probably suffered abuse by the Christian brothers, played Faith of Our Fathers and the like in Croke Park when we were kids in the 1950s and 60s. But the truth is, of course, that only boys and girls from poor homes ever ended up in these terrible places. No middle-class boy or girl ever did. So Mannix was right in telling Donald Clark, the Irish Times film critic last weekend, that Land Without God is a manifesto from my class to my class. This is Mannix talking. We are an intelligent, articulate people from a great culture, and we would like people to get their boots off our fucking necks. It is not, of course, Mannix's first manif such manifesto. He had already published a novel, Nothing to Say, dealing with these dark times and dark themes back in 1983, a successful stage play, James X, in 2002, and has regularly used the palisade fence around a derelict site at the corner of Essex Street and Exchange Street uh, for Agiprop exhibitions exposing Ireland's history of child abuse. So I suppose my question, Mannix, really is that, you know, what motivates you to do all of this? Is it merely the working out of your own pain and anger uh, over the privations you and members of your family suffered? Or is it more to do with making sure that people in Ireland know what really went on so that it can never happen again, that the authorities saw the poor as a menace and an embarrassment that had to be shifted away from polite eyes, as Donald Clark put it so eloquently last Saturday. Um, thank you very much, Frank, um, for doing this uh, questions and answers, and thanks very much for the public and the audience for coming here today. Um, I just before I just kind of start to answer that, I'd just like to acknowledge Maeve McMahon, uh, who is a co-director, a co-author, co-writer uh, in the audience who is sitting here. And to acknowledge that, you know, that in the making of this particular work, you know, I mean, that we had to actually walk through, you know, a hell of a lot 
of difficulty, uh, both in the making of the work and also in what was actually exposed to us. I'd also like to acknowledge a person who is not here, who is absent, is Lotta Patronella, who is a Finnish filmmaker uh, and who is in Helsinki at the moment. Uh, she went out and bought a frock today and uh, wore it in honour of the, of the occasion, so as that we would have all be dressed up for the occasion. So she's in Helsinki having a dinner celebrating the Dublin opening of the film, and I'd like to acknowledge her extraordinary uh, filmmaking skills, her extraordinary uh, camera work, and her extraordinary artistry. It's so important to actually remember, I didn't do this on my own, I didn't travel this journey on my own, no, any part of the 62 years of it, or any part of the, of, the, of, the, of the 10 years of it. It's really important that when you're dealing with a work of exclusion, that the two women who worked with me will be included in everything that we say here tonight. So I'm very proud um, to, 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 to acknowledge that part, part of my life. I also would like to acknowledge my mother and my seven sisters, you know what I mean, who had a huge influence on my life, and of course my father and my brothers, but they were the ones who influenced me, you know, you know greatly. To answer Frank's question to me, you know, um, I think the reason why I make the work, Frank, is because when I looked for representations of myself and my class uh, in, the, in those places, in those dark jails that I was in, when I looked for novels or books or works of art, it just simply didn't exist. Well, what existed was a, a presentation of us, a, rep, sorry, a representation of us, a view of us that was actually not correct, uh, not, not correct indeed. Uh, and we were all deemed to be the poor class, we were deemed to be, you know, God's unfortunate poor. For some strange reason, God had made us poor and we were to be looked after by everybody else. We were to be kind of cared for, but we didn't possess intelligence, we didn't possess culture and we didn't possess skills. So when I read the Brendan Beans, when I read the various um, uh, depictions of, you know, Strumpet City, it just didn't, it sounded odd to me, you know, and so I, I began to actually uh, work within the arts, and particularly with putting in a kind of a, a, a real history, so as that whoever was going to go into Mount Joy Jail, whoever was going to end up in the institutions, whoever was going to end up on that far side of the law, would actually have something that was going to actually mirror the nightmare and understand them and maybe wake them up out of it. If I was coming back into this world and I read the likes of James X, nothing to say, uh, talking to the wall, uh, or saw a lamb without God, things would have been a little bit more different. I would imagine they would have been a bit more different. Because I didn't have that reflection, um, I ended up in those particular places. So my role basically is, is to put our history into this country, into the national narrative, at all costs. So you said at one stage during the film that, you know, nobody believed us then, and they still don't. I mean, surely after the Ryan report and all of the other reports that have been done, that, you know, there is an awareness in Ireland about the horrific abuse that went on in these places. I, I think there is, you know, that element. But I would remind people again of the recent scandals in this country, you know, I mean, of the hepatitis C scandal where they poisoned women. I'd remind them of the fact that they have the, of, the, of the cervical cancer. We all know that, like, you know, this. But at the end of the day, the people who did it got away. People were indemnified. People were not given information. So while the Ryan Report, Murphy Report and Ferns Reports all came out, they were all part of the state. The state indemnified the people. 
and the state indemnified themselves and the church, and no one was really, really held to account. And the public purse, two and a half billion, was handed out to individuals and to uh, uh, to cover up what what, that, what actually happened. But again, the thing about it is, is that the women in the hepatitis C, the women in the in the in the in, in the in the blood transfusion, are seen as victims or survivors. That's what we're reduced to. So again, you know what I mean, you know, it takes a long lifetime to basically what is known as to include yourself in the performance of inclusion. So I'll be constantly, 24 hours a day, acting out my performance of inclusion. I'll be constantly trying to do that. Like within Dublin City Council, as a councillor, as an artist, etc. I'll be constantly challenging stereotypes of outreach when I look at the arts and I say, what do you do? I'm on the board of a whole series of arts organisations. And I constantly say to them, why are you so patronising when it comes to your outreach programme? You wouldn't get away with this outreach programme in Fox Rock. It doesn't exist in Fox Rock. It doesn't exist in Black Rock, the outreach. But it exists within working class and poorer communities, or even you know, what would be termed you know, the, 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 the migrant community, those who are the asylum seekers, or even those who from the traveling community would be again you know, used in that kind of way. So again, you're reduced. So for me, you know, well, the Murphy reports, the Ferns reports, and all those were there, I still have to kind of deal with that situation. And even even yesterday on the radio, and even talking with you know uh, you know Donald Clark again, uh, that conversation started off with these were the words. I believe you're a very difficult person. <laughs> and I just looked at him and said, well, "You can be." Well, you know, when was it, when was it difficult to you? He's carrying in this baggage. You see, this is the thing. So of course, one. But I'm. We can all be difficult people. I can get great difficulty some mornings, like you know, the shoelaces don't tie proper. I'll just throw them onto the ground. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's this, you know. So, yeah, but that shouldn't be used as a weapon to kind of, again, kind of close you down. And there's this constant business in this country in particular where you're constantly closed down. You're constantly closed down. I remember, and I'll finish with this, Frank, during the Liberty Suit, which was 1977, and I was standing in the bar in the Olympia afterwards, and two well-known individuals when the people were saying, wasn't that a magnificent performance? Your man was great, that was a great play. And one of them turned to her and said, your man was just playing himself. Do, do you know what I mean? He was just playing himself. So again, there's this situation. Lamb without God, again, is part of that struggle, is part of that you know, challenge, uh, and is part of that business. It's not so much about me, Frank, because I did my therapy. I did all of that behind-the-line stuff with seas of individuals. This is about the public. This is about my class. This is about people who will walk into a cinema or maybe somewhere down the road might see a videotape of a Mount Joy Jail and it may change that situation. But I would ask, you know what I mean, that the judges, the people who are in power, the politicians, the Labour Party, the left, stop using us, stop exploiting us for capital gain, for political gain, for capital, and actually allow us to be. It's amazing, and I said it recently, that for all of the kind of efforts of the church, the state, the charitable organisations, all the outreach. You walk around the estates in Dublin, the working class estates, they're in bits. They've been, they've been, there's 12 year olds terrorising 7 year olds and they're allowed to get away with it. And this is what I have to face with, this is what I have to deal with. And you have to ask yourself, why is that happening? Why has nobody moved on from the institutions? So they're only being swapped to some extent because we haven't really included our class. We haven't really actually begin the process 
of inclusion. We haven't really brought women, for instance, into the fray. We talk about equality, we talk about marriage equality, but when it really comes down to the business of sharing the platform, that doesn't really happen. Um, you, you, in the interview with Donald Clark, uh, you decried um, the representation of working class people in, in, in other works of art that are being produced even today such as Dermot Bulger's new play, uh, The Docks, The Last Call at the, at the Dockside Bar, or whatever it's called. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure that you've criticised the series uh, Plunkett's Strumpet City for its representation of the Dublin working class of that era uh, either. But are you saying, essentially, that, you know, that, that there is still a problem with the representation, with the way the working poor of this city are represented and have been represented in the past. Yeah. Is that the general point? I, 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 you know, I certainly do see that. I certainly do see a situation where, you know what I mean, certain individuals negate, you know what I mean, you know, that it's almost like a classism, that we are reduced to this kind of parody, we're reduced to this kind of entertainment. You know, and it's not just about, you know, Dermot Bulger's play, it's about the Abbey Taylor. I've seen a number of books in there, and I think they've got their responsibility in terms of the way we're seen and the way they portray working classes is, is deeply flawed. Now, I've worked in politics all my life, believe it or not, and I've worked in arts all my life, and I've worked in left-wing companies, you know, extreme left-wing companies, right-wing companies, and we've debated all these particular issues. I've worked with the Agi props in England in, England, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the 70s, so I would know what I'm actually on about. So we are outraged. We, you know, this is what's actually happening here. Our, our conversation has, has actually not been actually heard. You know, we are reduced to a kind of, you know, you know, you know, a, a, a Brendan O'Connor kind of parody. Like, let's all go down to Moor Street and do a sing-along. And that's all grand and that's entertainment. But that sticks. That actually sticks. That prejudice actually sticks. And I tell you how it sticks. I work in Dublin City Council. I read the documents. I see people's files. I look at the people around me, the 63 councillors. I look at the way they represent. I look at the hierarchy within Dublin City Council itself. And I see working class people here, and I see the other crowd up here. So you look around the arts, and you look around the arts administration, you know, you know, and you exactly see what's happening here. Who is the ruling class? Who's in that class? Who's controlling all those situations? And as I say, you know, I am, you know, I believe, 63, two years of age. I'm intelligent. I was on boards. I understand that I was on the Irish Museum of Modern Art board. The way they view working class... You're even class, a member of Aston. Hey, member of Aston. The way they Which view, is a very exclusive club. It is. The way they view the local community in in in, in, in is, is deeply flawed. It's, it's extremely flawed. And there's a fear. There's a big, big fear in there. And, of course, we're closed down. Because our voice is here through the Labour Party, it's here through the people before prop before people, it's here through you know so you know the, the, the trade union, you know, and that's what it's here to. But and, and and then we're we're reduced to like you know gangland, we're we're reduced to like you know crime, we're reduced to disadvantage, we're reduced to homelessness, and all of those kind of things. And when you look at all the charitable organisations, when you look at the McVeary Trust, when you look at the Focus Islands, when you look at the tens of millions that they have, you think to yourself. Where is the progress? So am I the only person? Am I the only actual person? You know what I mean? That's actually speaking like this. Am I the only person who's making this particular kind of work? 
You know, so, so when we made this work, and going back to it, we had to be very careful, we had to be very confident, we had to have our boundaries in place. And to be quite frank with you, we didn't really engage that much or tell that many people what we were actually doing. But what we were doing was we were building this particular thing that was provocative. So yes, there is a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a situation out there where in my daily life uh, and in my capacity, I constantly have to kind of face down that kind of prejudice ranking. Um, there, there, there was um, one of the other issues in, in, in the thing is, is, is you know, I, I, I have to confess, I've never been, even as a visitor to Letterfrag or to Dangan or to um, Artane or any of the other places. And you knew some of these places, you know, personally, and then went back to them after all of these years, you know, and and that comes across in, in the film that you were kind of upset about it. Um, or, were you, or were you so upset? Or were you, or was it kind of therapeutic in a way to see them derelict in the end? That they're no longer being used for the abuse that took place there? Well, well as I said, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the, the issues of my life haven't completed. Going back into those environments, in this instance, I went back in with the science of the arts and applied the arts in the language and in the filmmaking with the other two filmmakers. Prior to all of this situation, I'd have to say, I spent five years in deep therapy until I was constitutionally capable of being honest with myself. Because up to that point, up to 2000, I had been involved in alcoholism uh, and, and just a very chaotic life, which was very difficult. Uh, I thought that was all about alcohol and that was about just drinking and drugging, but it wasn't. It was about other stuff that was all underneath that. So when I put down that drink, you know, uh, from, you know it, it, the thing didn't go away. So I had to go and deal with my sexuality, I had to deal with my child abuse, I had to deal with so many different things. I had to constitutionally rebuild my entire life from the inside for five years in County Kerry, in Talbot Grove, with Ted McCarthy, who was deceased. And they were tough. They were like, get here or die. And I had to go and spend hours and hours and hours going over and over and over again in detail. What happened, what I felt, what I did in my life, how it manifested itself in my life, how it came about, what I did, what I fucking didn't do, you know what I mean? All of those kind of things. What was body betrayal? How does it operate within my, my, my normal sex life with my partner, with my, with, within my life? How do I operate this? How do I deal? I just fucking just close it all off and say, oh, well, that happened in my childhood. That was an, an experience that happened not just on one occasion, but on many occasions. As I always point out, you know, the, the First World War lasted X, Y, Z years. The Second World War lasted X, Y. For us, this lasted a long time, generations. So for me, I had to deal with all of that. So prior to doing any of this work, I had to do all that. So when I entered into this work, I entered into this work as a politician, as a member of Estonia, you know, as a sober, clean individual, with my life entirely intact and back, reconstituted. You know what I mean? I'm a non-drinker and I'm a recovered alcoholic. I had to go back into those places and I had to deal with them. The big fear for me at that particular point was when I was actually asking my family and my friends for intimate details. That, that shook me to my very core. That shook me to my very, very core indeed, to be able to go into my family and actually watch that and deal with that and deal with Maeve and deal with Lotta and watching them get involved and then to, to bring us all out of that particular process. 
So we were trying to leave our, we were trying to leave slavery behind, and I was trying to help with my newfound constitutional life march other people out of the desert, get them out of that slavery, and say, look, it's time we talked about this. Everybody else knows about it. Everybody else is talking about it. Why can't we do that? So going back into that, Frank, is important, and it's an important question. When I came back to Ireland in 2000, in 2090, I lived in Netafrak. I, I took up residence in an isolated building. I lived there for two years. I wrote James X in the monastery of Netafrak. It was really interesting because nothing to say had been around. And all the children in Netafrak came to me asking me what happened there. I went and I lived in these buildings. So the landscape of Netherfrack, the landscape of Connemara are beautiful places. It's interesting that most of the stuff that happened in Netherfrack happened on the landscape, which is Connemara National Park. There's not one single stone on that national park will tell you what happened there. So I worked it all into my life and out of my life. The liberty suit, working in politics, helped me understand what I needed to do. So when I went back to those places... I was, I, was, I was upset, yes, I was traumatised, but I was able to come out the far side of it, you know what I mean? But there were moments when me, Maeve and Lotta, certainly when we were down in Lotta, where we just had to take 24 hours out because the landscape was so toxic, so poisonous that we stood back. And even the people around knew what we were doing. And we had a lot of work to do in that, in that sense. But I'm not traumatised, Frank. I'm not, I don't suffer on a daily basis. I don't shudder. I will say this much. Every time I do see the Artane band on the radio or rolled out to the, whatever show it is or rolled out in the fields of, 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 the, of, uh, of the GAA, I, I do get traumatised because there is an absolute insult for us who were in the Artane, who suffered under the hands of Brother Joseph, whereby we're looking at the institutional uniform, we're looking at the institutional name, and we're told that the children are put up because the children that are in there now are different than the children that were in it beforehand. It's directly connected to the institution, Frank. The uniform was wrong. I mean, would you tolerate the Nazi band with no Nazis in it? No, you wouldn't. So why would you actually, in this day and age, here, here. tolerate you know, a, 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 a situation where you're traumatizing us, you're stigmatizing the children in the band, and the long history of 130-odd years is not a, a, a pretty history. Read the Ryan Report section on Artane. So what do we get from the Irish Times? From Mr. Ferreter, we get like, you know, oh, that this is a great thing, that this should stay because we need reminders. We don't need reminders. And if we do need reminders, include us in those things. What do we get from the GEA? Shut up. What do we get from the Artane Band? Shut up. What did I get from Dublin City Council when I brought the motion to them, from the Labour Party in particular, that I was a vile person, that I was disgusting? It was a, and it's on the tape if you want to look at it. This is what my political friend said about me because I actually dared put a motion that we would disband the Artane band. Well, I'm not looking for major support. I'm not looking to raise a big, you know, uh, me, me, me campaign or me too campaign or you too campaign. I'm just stating the facts that if this was a middle class school that I was in and such horror took place, you could be damn sure that there'd be no fucking Klongos band jumping around the place <laughs> if I was actually raped or, or tortured in Glasgow. You're looking damn sure of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it wouldn't be happening. In, in the interview with Donald Clark, um, uh, you said there are times when you end up broken. You then have to go into that place where you get the ingredients to move forward. Um, and you, you say Estragon and Vladimir 
uh, had that, even though Beckett was dark and gloomy, quote, we will come back tomorrow because he might come tomorrow, unquote. What is the truth of your life? Where are you going? Where are you going to where are you going to do if you don't wait for what are you going to do if you don't wait for Godot? What is your conception of Godot in this in that context? I always knew as a child that there was something out there. That simple. There was a mystery out there. There was a glorious journey out there. Grafton Street, O'Connell Street, George's Street, they were just glorious places, in and out of all those shops. It was just a fabulous, fabulous thing as a child. That's what draws you out into that world. That never left me, Frank, that sense of spirit, that sense of leaving the cave. I came from a really, really beautiful family, but I wasn't staying with them. I wanted out onto those streets. I wanted onto those roofs, Frank. I still want on those roofs, by the way. There's nothing better than going into a derelict building, the adventure of it. You know this because you know that city like the back of your hand. I got that opportunity. I took that opportunity. I realised there was something that was something beautiful and there was something rare. I realised that in the institutions, in the dark places, that there was something that wasn't quite right about these places and there was something much better. And every time I went out, everybody that I kind of met, even when I escaped from Netherfract, everybody was contaminated along that road. There was no let up. It was like, you know, the uh, it was like the painted board. Jerzy Kaskinski's great book, when the child escapes from Auschwitz and he, he gets out of the train and he's moving across. It's a, a magnificent read. But every time he comes, it's this deep prejudice. But nonetheless, Kaskinski wrote that book. He didn't make it out. He committed suicide. I, I love life. I have a very very strong faith. You know, I believe in a power beyond myself. I mean, I would be the first person to admit that I'm a miracle. I would know what I've gone through. I know the alcohol I took. I know the drugs that I took. I believe it's worthwhile getting up. I believe it's worthwhile going into Dublin City Council. I believe when I went out knocking on those doors and asking people for a bow, I met people that I deeply offended. Really. And like I had to stand for hours at the door and say, I'm really sorry. I had to make all those amends and, and travel that road. I mean, I really, really do think that when you look at our own history, what we had, what we had to put up with, what happened to us, when we were annihilated, you know, not just once, but over a period of 600 years, umpteen times in that period, we were simply annihilated, back to eating grass. And from some strange reason, we made it out. We made it out to America and we made great strides. But the people in this island were the ones who made it out. We are the ones. And each and every individual here has that capacity to be able to do that situation. Moses, in his desert story, I'll complete with this, it wasn't when he looked back and saw how many people were dancing around the golden calf. He was told clearly, you are now ready to leave the desert, to leave bondage. The gay community, the traveling community, the community who are in the institutions, the Irish community, the Northern Irish community, will have to one day wake up and leave the tragedy behind. And like what was said on the cross when Christ looked at Mary, he said, don't cling to me. Don't cling to my sorrow, don't cling to my hurt, don't cling to my tragedy, don't cling to my dying. Go now, let me go. You go and do what you have to do. Otherwise the message doesn't get out. Homer's Odyssey is the same journey as well. So it's really important that we're here doing this. And that's the reason why I think we wait for Godot. We come back waiting for Godot. It's so important to do that. Okay. Um.
I'm not sure that many people would agree with that version of history. Okay, that lady there. Okay, just go with that yeah. lady at the back there. That lady there. S sorry, just one sec. Well, I mean, basically, you know, the, the movie is about a consciousness. It's about achieving a consciousness and awakeness, both within my own class and within the class that's around the ruling class. That's really what it's about, you know, and that you actually can make this particular kind of work to inform the public and inform the people that were there of exactly what it is that happened, and also to inform my family. But I think what's really important is to actually inform the generations to come. Because the generations to come always pick up on the granny story, or what happened in the family. They're not quite sure. All of us know this. There's something in there that wasn't told to us. So hopefully what it is, is about bringing this story into the light, into the public domain. And that's really what I'd like to actually try and achieve here. That at least we're talking, you know, not about the Ryan Report, not about all of those reports, but about the facts of our history, our social history, and that we actually begin to make that journey and accept that journey and what happened. My class, were deeply traumatized. If you can imagine the Jewish people not being acknowledged for what they went through, simply being denied the Holocaust or denied the terrible journey, the huge, huge tragedy and huge horror happening in my class, in my communities. And there's no representation, there's no documentation, there's nothing to say we can move beyond this situation. So I want that to actually happen in that conscience. Thank you. Okay, but that's just, what I would like to ask. It, sorry, can I just Why would it need to be changed? Uh, I think it, I think um, a little, I, I don't know, it's not easy to say, but I, I see a lot of things that would make a difference that I would want to take that movie to my community now to, to, to work with exactly what you're saying, that nothing is being, enough isn't being done. But you, they can come here and see it. They can come to the IFI and see it. They will come to the IFI to see it. The movie, the movie won't be changed. You can discuss the changes that you'd like to make. But the, the, the film won't. Sorry, sorry, madam. Sorry, the movie, the movie won't be changed. We haven't got time. Okay, we haven't got time. For, you, know, you can okay. You can go for the next person person. afterwards. Thank you. Just here in the third row. Yeah. Yes. Mary Smith, and I want to say a big, big thank you to Mannix, to producers, and the members of the
because for too long it was just cause I did in Ireland. Unfortunately, I never saw the face of my mother. Sorry, say that I again. never saw my mother. Yeah. I was ripped from her the day she gave birth to me because the Catholic Church made a rule and they were the criminals that took my mother away. Maddox knows all this, mate. Until I was ready for work, my mother changed the mantle around us. Between myself, my mother, and my brother, the industrial schools, Maddox around us, mental hospitals. Hospitals, sorry. And more so, we were well to do family, multi-millionaires, because the church made the rule. And as Maddox says, we are traumatised. People say, what are you going to see from this film? It should go down in history. The trauma is left with me. This was left with, I never saw my mother's face. I never went to school in my life. I was put straight to work. The people in this whole world, the next generation, it should be in the history books. And again, I want to thank Maddox and May, who made this film. And more should be made of them. For the simple reason, it should not let die. We, I am traumatised, never having a home never having a family, I was raped and left on the streets of Cork with nowhere to live and nowhere to go. My brother was locked up for found 20 years ago because he was left homeless, yet they took a home. And we weren't poor, as I said, it's working because people were poor. We were beaten, leathered, strapped. And nobody knows what we're down behind closed doors. And thanks to Manx and everybody that made this film. And we have of my mother, most of all Manx, who I never saw, and my brother. Who was starved to death. Thank you very, very much, and I hope you go along with it. I'll go down with how long have we got? How long have we got? Five minutes? Five minutes. Okay. Uh, the sixth row from the back, I think. And then there's one at the back, and, then and that's, that lady at that's the, back. the end, yeah. Sorry, just, uh, yeah. I'd just like to congratulate Manix on what was the, the poetry of his expression and his narrative during the course of it. And I was very struck by one particular phrase that you used, which was that you were at the beginning of your leaving, which I thought was very poetic. And I'd just like to ask what you hope to achieve during over the duration of your leaving. There's a, an old phrase, and it's actually a new phrase, which basically you know, you come to this particular point, and this is the particular place, it's kind of again back to that story about the exit. It's the right to exit. Joyce exiled himself. He left himself in a perpetual no place in some respects. He didn't really get the chance to exit. And I've always kind of exiled myself within certain ways, exiled myself in alcohol and addiction. In this particular process, personally to me, this gives me the right to exit. So I will exit into a whole other ball game that I know what I'm going to be doing. It's a very, very different journey. Uh, it will take all of what I have with me, but it's a very, very different trajectory. Um, it's very different than the past 60 odd years. It's the beginning you know, of that particular journey. That is very, very exciting. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to entail, uh, but it's going to entail difference. You know, That's the thing. It's not going to entail uh, a lot of what was in the past. There comes a demarcation time when you kind of, you know, it's a bit like the kind of, there's no longer an X, there's just a whole different ball game. There's a different movement, there's a different place. And I think, again, like most people in Ireland, we get stuck sometimes 
you know, in a, in a, in a perpetual uh, version of history or a perpetual version of our family or a perpetual version of what happened to us and it didn't go that right for us. And we get caught with that. I'm leaving that. I'm leaving this. I'm, I'm exiting from all of this situation. I end up in, I go into a very sophisticated political works over the next while and a different sort of articulation over the next particular while and a different way in the way I view myself. At the moment, you know, I'll be honest with you, I am doing what is, I met this guy who basically was a, a massive trauma specialist with the American Army. He was a, an absolute genius, him and his wife. They knew exactly how to come at places. And I'm studying with that person. I've got 10 more sessions in, in, uh, in, you know, with this person. That is opening up massive doors for me. It's part of my life that I would never tell nobody. I just wouldn't tell nobody, okay, because I don't have the courage to be able to tell them, and I don't have the language to be able to tell them, and I don't have the articulation. Once that is complete, I'll then make my move. Okay, we, great. Uh, just one sec. Um, at the very back, in the last row. This is the last person. Yeah. Last question. No, this is more the form of a statement. Firstly, to that lady there, you cannot change history. It is what it is. You cannot paint over it, gloss it, or make it any different. Mannix's story is Mannix's story. Um, I came from the inner city. I was born in a tenement house with five families. My father and his sister and brother were... Uh, their mother died of TB. There was no crime involved. The crime was involved, the mother died of TB. Good church and state came in, took the seven, six-year-old and five-year-old to court, to court the children, charged the children, sent my father and his brother down to Kilkenny and then on to Glynn, two of the most notorious homes according to the Ryan report. My aunt was sent now this is from the inner city Dublin, like what Manic showed here, out to the wilderness. My aunt was sent to Lockeray. She died there at 13 years of age. Nobody but nobody can tell me where she's buried. Now my name is Anna Corrigan and I broke the story of the Chum Babies family group. My mother was in Chum, she gave birth to two children there. I brought Catherine Corris's work and the story of my mother to Alison O'Reilly, which broke in May 2014 and caused this to become a national scandal. What they've done here in this country was they took what happened to the poor, to the, I won't say underdog, the poor, right? They broke it into nice bite-sized pieces. They dealt with the, the report on the industrial schools first. Okay, we've got that done, finished, right? Paid a few bob, it's sorted, right? They go away, right? Hopefully to Jesus, nothing will ever come out again. 2012, out comes the Magdalene Inquiry. The Magdalene Inquiry, the same thing. During the 2012 inquiry into the Magdalene home, they discovered information about Chilm and Bezbo. What did they do with it? They shelved it, right? Sorry, I'm not going to go on. I, just, hope, I hope you... Uh, just two more I seconds. Think, I think I know we have to evacuate the cinema very shortly. Sorry, just two more seconds, right? Then, when, I, when the story broke about the mother baby home in 2010, this is a big spider web. As Manic said, people went from homes to prison. 
It was a class, right? It was a class system, right? People moved between these institutions. There was no getting in. You were caught in a way on a first yeah. way. Okay, got to end it. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thanks very much. I mean, I'm sure we could go on, but we can't uh, uh, tonight anyway. Thank you all for your uh, coming along uh, to see this really amazing film. And thank you for your contributions from the floor. Uh, thank you to Mannix and congratulations once again. Um, can I ask, and, and tell all your friends, can I, can I ask that you would actually... Can, can I ask that you would actually encourage that you would encourage other citizens to come and see this particular work because this is their history. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you very much indeed. I was delighted.